0: Let kids read what they want to read, and and the most important thing is not how well they read. It's that they enjoy reading.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from The Children's Book Review, and this is The Growing Readers' Podcast. Today's guest is the super fun and fan favorite picture book creator, Josh Funk. It's quite possible that Josh is a superhero with the delightful power of making readers laugh with his writing. During the day, he's a software engineer, and on weekends, he becomes the author of books like the Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast series, It's Not a Fairy Tale series, How to Code with Pearl and Pascal series, A Story of Patience and Fortitude series, Dear Dragon, Pyrosaurus, and more. On the topic of and more, here's the book synopsis for his latest picture book, My Pet Feet. When the letter R suddenly vanishes, A whole town goes upside down in this side-splitting picture book of alphabet chaos, that's Can I Be Your Dog meets P is for pterodactyl. A little girl wakes up one day to find that R, a vital piece of the alphabet, has vanished. Suddenly she has pet feet instead of a ferret. Flocks of cows replace crows flying in the sky. Giant shoes, not shaws, live on the sandy beaches of her town. What could have happened to the 18th letter of the alphabet? Did it get lost? Or stolen? One way or another, the town needs to be saved. Well, hello, Josh Funk. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. Thanks, Bianca. How are you? I am very well. I think the last time I spoke to you may have been kind of right in the middle of the pandemic on uh, Instagram Live.
0: Yeah, we had a, a nice little chat there. It's been a while, almost two years, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I just cannot believe how many books you have out now. Is it 18 picture books between what you have coming out? Like this year,
0: by the end of the year, yeah, it's eighteen. It is pretty crazy, uh, and it when it, yeah, when you think about it,
1: yeah, that's amazing. So, like, is it three new releases coming out any day now? Um, to the end of the year, you have three.
0: Yeah, I have. So, my pet feet just came out a couple weeks ago, and. That is illustrated by Billy Young, and then I have my seventeenth book. Will be it's not the Three Little Pigs, which is the fourth book in the It's Not a Fairy Tale series, illustrated by Edwardian Taylor, and that comes out November first. But you know how there's shipping delays and supply chain issues all the time. Um, so take we'll those keep dates our fingers crossed. Grain yeah. of salt, and then <laughs> the the Fifth Lady Pancake book, The Great Caper Caper, that will be out on November fifteenth. Oh, so, gosh. Um, and that's illustrated by Brendan Kearney.
1: Yeah, so so exciting for you and all of us. So (laughs) I'm really hoping that we will, like, I mean, I want to talk about all your books, but I want to focus on My Pet Feet since that's the one that has come out most recently. But before we dive into that, since you have written so many picture books, would you mind starting us off just by sharing what guides you and drives you in creating books
0: for children? Well, I think I like to write things that entertain me. First and foremost, if it doesn't entertain me as as an adult, then I doubt that I would want to read it to my kids. And I think that the children's books, at least picture books that I write, are meant to be read by adults to kids. Yes, there are some types of picture books that are read by kids to themselves as they're learning to read, but that's that's a very special type of book, the the early readers, leveled readers, whatever you want to call them. And and those are actually hard to write because they require a certain knowledge of how kids' brains work and, and how uh, kids learn to read in education. But I write books that are meant to be read by an adult to a child, whether it's a parent or a teacher or a librarian or an older sibling or a caregiver, grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever. I'm not a teacher. I am, I'm married to a teacher, but I'm I'm not a teacher. So I was a parent reading books to my kids. And there were some that I really, really loved to read out loud to my kids. And that's really what inspired me to want to start writing. And on top of that, that's what I continue to want to do. I want to entertain not only the kids, but the adults who are reading the books. And I think the reason behind that is that if an adult is a more enthusiastic reader, because they're enjoying the book they just naturally enjoy it they don't have to act like they are even if they aren't then it's going to be a better experience for the child and frankly the child is probably going to enjoy the experience of being read to and enjoy the experience of books in general and reading more and so that's really what i'm trying to do when i write is is entertain kids obviously first and foremost but very close second is the adults who are reading to them so that The whole experience is exciting for the kids.
1: I've also heard you say that you aim to help children fall in love with reading, right? And so you want kids to, once they're done reading your books, is that hopefully it will enthuse them to continue reading. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts or words of wisdom on raising kids who love reading.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I think that having books around... And being an adult that reads and having your children that are around you see you read, not just being a part of your life is is probably the most important thing, setting a good example. And I read a lot of picture books, even as an adult. My kids will see me. They're uh, 17 and 14 now, but they, they're they reading. Uh, they see me reading picture books and they don't really bat an eye because they know it's sort of work, quote unquote, research for me. But I really do like reading picture books, reading stories that have pictures in them. Uh, and I, I read a decent amount of middle grade, mostly picture books and YA though. Um, I like the YA murder mysteries. That's kind of my my favorite stuff, Karen McManus, those kinds of things. But yeah, I think just having books around, frequent trips to the library and take your kids. And I, you know, my my son will come with me to the library sometime just just to come and he'll end up with two or three books. He may not read them all, but he may read all of them. And it's something that he wouldn't do if I wasn't going to the library. And yeah. so and I also I'm very fortunate. I live in New England. There's a lot of bookstores around here. So I go to bookstores a lot. But but just having books be around, be a part of your daily routine is something that really, I think, helps, you know, raising readers. And, you know, my my daughter at the moment who uh, works at a bookstore and. Yay. My son, uh, starting high school, the, the one elective he chose was journalism. So reading and writing, is it's something that seems like it's paying off.
1: Yeah, that's great. Do you want to give a shout out to your daughter's bookstore?
0: Oh, The Silver Unicorn in Acton, Massachusetts. But there are so many great bookstores in in New England. I, I would have to, you know, take up the entire time talking about them. But
1: I love it. Well, I you know, something else about picture books and sort of raising readers is that a lot of parents, once their kids maybe enter first grade and second grade, there's a big push to move away from picture books and to take on the chapter books. Do you have any thoughts on sort of, you know, rushing people through picture books and moving on to the chapter books? What Do you have any sort of wisdom there?
0: Um, Again, I'm not a teacher, so I don't have any. All I know is what I hear from from other educators. But what my feeling is, is that kids should read whatever they want to read, whatever level it's at. It doesn't really matter if it's too easy or not. I mean, I still read. uh, Well, I don't get the newspaper anymore, but into my 20s, I read the Sunday comics like that's you know too easy for an adult to read you'd say but you know that's why they're there is is for adults and i think that re- censoring kids and telling them what they should read and even censoring saying a first grader shouldn't be reading picture books they should be reading leveled readers and a third grader should be reading chapter books not graphic novels or whatever it is like uh, the studies show that that's all wrong let kids read what they want to read and the most important thing is not how well they read it's that they enjoy reading because it, even everyone's going to eventually get to the point whether it's through a lot of struggle or it was really easy for them but they're all going to eventually be able to read we all sit on our phone and scroll through yeah there's a lot of pictures but there's also text in there we all can read we all need to m- make decisions based on the words that we that we see but it's a, it's about being enjoying reading and wanting to spend time reading that's really something that you can't teach you can only hopefully Put the books in front of the kids and hope that they enjoy them. And telling them not to read something is is probably counterproductive to the enjoyment of reading.
1: Absolutely. So here's a good question for you then, since we're talking about encouraging or or hoping that kids will, you know, have a joy for reading and that their grown-ups around them are fostering that joy. Did you enjoy reading as a kid?
0: I didn't love to read as a kid. I was a really good reader at first. Like I read very soon, very quickly. All those little leveled readers you get in kindergarten and whatever, they had to cut off the corners of mine because I got to level five, but nobody else in kindergarten got past four so that nobody could see that mine said five on it or something like that. Like I was good at it and that made me proud and it made my parents proud, but it didn't make me love reading and love stories as much as I wish it did. I really liked being read to when I was younger. And I have very fond memories of having Charlotte's Web read to me in kindergarten and my teacher wouldn't go fast enough. So I made my parents go and buy the book and read it to me outside of school. There was a book called Lafcadio by Shel Silverstein, which I don't think it aged all that well, but I really liked it in third grade when our teacher read it to us. And it's kind of in parts. And we stopped after the first part and moved on to a new book. And I, again you know, made sure to go buy that book because I needed to know what happened. Something happened somewhere along the way. I, I didn't really read all that much outside of school. It became kind of a chore. I don't know why, but I was one of the kids. I read a lot of a lot of Cliff's notes in high school. I I there are some great books um, that I didn't read in high school, at least not as thoroughly as I should have. A lot of them by dead white men that maybe <laughs> don't really deserve to be read quite as thoroughly. But even so, I, I missed out on stuff by not being good. And I totally regret it. I read very slowly, actually. So I read very early, but I read about as fast in my head as i do out loud so i'm my kids read much faster than me and i'm so jealous like we're sometimes we i play video games with my son and it's one of those text-based video games where it's, there's a story and you have to progress based on a decision of a or b and and he, he's done reading it and he made the decision before i'm halfway through the paragraph and i he, he reads so much faster than i do and i'm and i'm jealous and it's been years he's been reading faster than me since he was nine and i i wish i read more when i was a kid and i started to love reading again when i was an adult I think one of the things that I I loved, I I ended up listening to a ton of audiobooks on my commute. Uh, I had a very long commute when I lived in Virginia in the mid-2000s. And I was in the car for close to two hours a day at times. And I listened to so many amazing middle grade, mostly some adults, but middle grade audiobooks. And that is sort of when I fell in love with, with reading again and that made a huge difference to me and i and i realized what i was missing because i was i was listening to audiobooks for fun and it wasn't something that i had to do for school or was an assignment those those were the ones that were a challenge for me if i didn't love whatever book was assigned
1: yeah i do think that a lot of people say this is that when reading becomes a chore and and you have to read then that's when sort of reading doesn't feel as pleasurable anymore. And it's when we lose a lot of uh, middle school age children and high schoolers because it starts to become a forced thing that they have to do. But I love that you mentioned audiobooks because I love listening to audiobooks. And I feel like some people don't count it as reading, but it is. It is. When you're listening to the story, you're getting all those emotions, especially when it's a great narrator and kids, they need to listen and comprehend. Audiobooks um, definitely count
0: as reading. Oh, absolutely. 100%. <laughs>
1: Well, now I really want to talk about your day job because my kids are always amused by the fact that the title of children's book author is often a side job. So what does your balancing act of a day job and children's book author look like? And do you find time to write every day?
0: I am a software engineer. That's my day job. I've been working for the same company for almost 20 years. um, So for about a decade before I was an author and, and Um, And my first book came out seven years ago last week, but I had obviously started writing before my first book came out. I like coding. It's fun. It's a different type of writing. I sometimes like to say, I, I think that writing code is a lot like solving a puzzle. There's a lot of logic involved, but writing stories also has a lot of parallels to the same logic puzzle solving in some ways. When you write a story, you still need to have a good beginning and satisfying conclusion and exciting action scenes and and a good character and rising tension and, and a despicable villain and all of the different ingredients. And you need to piece them together properly. Just like in code, you need to solve some problem that needs to be written in well, I write a lot of C and I build <laughs> models and simulations of networks. But that's that's my day job. And so there are a lot of similarities. I I it's it's not to me, it's not like a right brain-left brain thing. It's it's all my brain, and you have to have some creativity to to code. The the most creative scientists are the ones that really push the boundaries and find and, and push science further. And it's the same thing with writing. You need creativity, but you also need to be able to, I don't know if you've ever written a novel, but you know, if you've seen some of the programs, the computer programs I talk about, about about how to, how people write novels, it's it's like these giant three-dimensional spreadsheets about this character shows up in this scene, and that's color-coded red, and this character's in that scene, and, and it's it's almost like solving a big puzzle. So there's a lot of all of it involved into both you know, creativity and science, math in in all fields, I think. And one thing I do like to say is if you want to be a scientist, it's very important that you are a good reader and a good writer. Because if you want to study something, you need to take all of the research that's been done before you. You need to read that and understand it so that you can do some new experiments and push science further. Because you don't want to be redoing something somebody already did. That's that's already been proven, that's already been written about. And if you do some experiment, some groundbreaking work, and you figure some out, figure out some new things, you're going to need to be able to write about them so that other people can learn from you and then keep taking what you did and build upon that. So being a being a good scientist actually requires being a good reader and a good writer.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, you you it's one thing to have these great thoughts, but can you articulate them in a way that other people can comprehend? I had never thought about that, but that's that's very true. So then in I guess one could say that you do write every day. You're writing code. Yeah, when, yeah. I
0: did skip that part of the question. No, but, I don't write creatively every day though. I definitely don't. I I Um, I have a day job that's, it's a 40 hour a week day job. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a teacher. Um, my wife who is a teacher, she works a good 80 to a hundred hours a week during the school year and and about 60 during the summer. But that's, that's what being a teacher is. I have extra time that I, I, that she doesn't. And, you know, I spend time with my kids and my family, obviously. And, and, and sometimes I find time to write other times I spend that extra time recording podcasts or, uh, writing newsletters, um, which is what I'm going to be doing later tonight. And and or even sometimes it's it's not writing writing, but it's an editor might send me notes on a manuscript and say, you know, here's notes. You need to change it. Or I might get sketches from an illustrator for a book that's coming out in two years. And I need to give my feedback on that. Um, there's so many, or a friend of mine might send me one of their picture book manuscripts and want some feedback on it. Now that's not my writing, but they also do the same for me. We swap back and forth. So there's so many things about writing that I may not quote unquote write every day, but I'm always doing something related to my job as an author every day.
1: There's actually so much that goes on behind the scenes for every single book. Well, Since we've talked a lot about reading and writing, now we need to speak about My Pet Feet. (laughs) You've proclaimed that it's your cleverest book yet, as the whole book is written with only 25 letters. And I have to agree with you that it is very clever and hilarious. So where did this very creative idea to write a book about a missing letter R come from?
0: It started with either a typo or an autocorrect, I'm not sure. But either way, I wrote the word fiend on my phone when I meant to write friend. (laughs) And I started thinking, what happened to the R? What would cause a friend to become a fiend? Why would that happen? Uh, What else would happen? Did the other R's also disappear? Did other objects turn into other things because all the R's were gone? And, you know, I often think not about specifically illustrations but I think about funny things I'd like to see Illustrated and so that's really I started making lists of words that if you took an R away it would become something else and I had I just started a Google Doc probably on my phone right after the the friend fiend thing and I, and I thought well I just made a, a list and I I didn't have a story but I had a list of a bunch of words and I and I knew I would find a story that I could use these in and after a few weeks, I realized, well, what, what would cause a, a a best friend to turn into a best fiend? Because that was originally what the title of the story was. This was before that app, Best Fiends, or at least before it got big. So it was in the summer of 2019. And I thought, well, if my best fiend person turned into something else, or friend turned into a fiend, like, what would that be? And I realized that might be kind of complicated to, to explain. So I thought, well, what if I took, what if I took an animal that turned into something? And I went through different animals and really the only pet-like animal that has an R in it, that if you take that R away, it becomes something else was a ferret. I thought, you know, there, nobody really keeps crabs as pets. Um, (laughs) Horses are a little bit too big as pets. So a crab would be a cab, a horse would be a hose. I don't know if we were in Westeros, maybe people kept crows as pets, but, and that would become a cow but that didn't seem all that cuddly so i so a ferret really was the best fit and and a ferret when you take out the two r's it becomes feet so i ran with it uh pun intended i <laughs> i said well if you woke up one day and your you, your pet ferret had turned into feet what would you do and you you'd want to solve this problem i needed a main character that needed to saw, to figure out what what happened to the R's, there had to be a reason. It couldn't just be like, oh look, that crow turned into a cow. You know, why would you care? But if your if your pet ferret turned into feet, you would care. And so that's that's what happens. Uh, the main character in the story is an unnamed little girl, but she has to figure out. It's it's told in first person, and she has to figure out what how to save her her pet ferret without using letter R. So the whole book has. Only 25 letters They up until they find the R's. There are no R's in it. And so it's got a lot of visual gags. The illustrator, Billy Young, did an amazing job. I do think it's my my cleverest book, which is, you know, I, there's no real good way to say cleverest without using the letter R. R. To, to find all those words, I had to use the thesaurus a lot because I had yeah, to keep avoiding R's. I mean, I wrote a book about the letter R disappearing without using the word letter or disappear or word
1: brilliant it's brilliant, um, it's brilliant. Uh, no honestly the whole the whole thing is very entertaining and the word clever it just sums it up beautifully but I know that you have a copy right next to you yeah. so I would love listeners to hear you read a bit if you don't mind would,
0: would you be willing to
1: read your favorite sentence from the book to us
0: oh yeah well okay my favorite, there's a, cu- there's one page here that has, it's all visual gags. There's no actual words missing, but you have to look really, really closely. It's uh, the the page is all the townspeople acted as if this was just a typical day, but there is so much going on in this page. Reading the text doesn't do justice. I'm going to have to describe to you what's in Billy's illustrations. So there is a bake shop that um, the little girl just walks out of and across the street is another bake shop. But it's not a bake shop, it's really a break shop. <laughs> they they fix ties, but they really fix tires, but all the tires are ties. There's a music store with band posters on the wall that um say age against the machine, Paul McCatney, <laughs> Me- Men at Walk. Uh, you know Hay I'm Styles. a f- you know
1: I'm a fan of Men at Walk. <laughs> yeah. And, or at uh, Walk, I should say. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of dogs baking. Um Instead of barking on the and 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 more, there's so much more. But my favorite page of text is probably the one where Doodles runs away. Doodles is the pet ferret and says, uh, the main character says, "Come back, I shouted. I chased doodles past a fog and toad by the old babbling book, down a tail and into a gassy field and um the the gassy field is illustrated by a bunch of butts farting and i i didn't know that billy was going to do that i had no idea but um and the and the butts are also like just coming out of a giant lizard tail you have to see it for it to really make sense but, yeah no it's
1: um, it's br- it's brilliant just because like let's just let's just paint the picture here so if this sentence was read with the letter r it would have provided a beautiful lovely scene so it would have been i chased doodles past a frog and toad, by the old babbling brook, down a trail, and into a grassy field, and that's a lovely sentence, right? But turn, let's turn the page, right? But no, in this this yeah. particular sentence, I chase doodles past a fog and toad by the old babbling book down a tail and into a gassy field. Like it's just like when you're holding this book and you're reading it, and you have Billy Young's artwork paired with it. It's so funny. It's energetic. It's hilarious. Um, so I just think it's so it's so so clever.
0: We spent a lot of time towards the end design doing some design work on the text because we wanted to make sure that adults would read it wrong because like, like you read it, you might just kind of skim through it if you were reading it and think like, yeah, grassy fields. You know, you wouldn't think twice about it, but it's supposed to be read incorrectly as gassy fields, right? So we made all of the words that are missing R's purple so that they're sort of highlighted. And I think this will also make it helpful for little kids who want to see the word that is the special word and why things aren't what they look like they should be. And then once the R's come back, at the end, we've made all of the words that have R's green. So you can see not only these are words that have R's in them and look at how, it's part of it's just to show off my cleverness and Look at how <laughs> how many words have R's in them. And the first, you know, three quarters of the book didn't have any Rs. But part of it is to show you that R actually is the most commonly used consonant in the English language, um, according to the Oxford Concise English Dictionary. So if you look at like all the root words out there, it is the most commonly used consonant, which is why in Wheel of Fortune it's first. It's R S T L. So R is R is number one. And and so that made it both hard and easier to write this book because so many words have the letter r in it and i had to avoid all of those words and for that i needed a thesaurus but also because so many words have r in them i was able to find a lot of words that if you took the r away it became another word that could then be illustrated and it would be funny. You now I didn't make up any words for this book. So I didn't like take a word that has R in it like birthday and it became a bith day. Like bithday day isn't a word. So I didn't make up any words. They're all real things that turned into other things. So the R had to, it had to work when the R was there and the R wasn't there. And on top of that, it had to work in the same part of speech. Like I couldn't have a verb become a noun You know, even if it became another word, it it had to fit in the sentence.
1: I can really imagine the conversations in a classroom if a teacher chooses to read your story. What could fog be? What could gassy be? like? And, and having them just think about it on a level and, and before you turn the page, just really sit with the book and, and try and guess what these words are for the younger kids. And then for the older kids, how fun would it be for a teacher to read this book and then challenge the kids to come up with their own sentence that uses only real words and the sentence has to make sense not using the letter R. I feel like this is going to be such a great classroom book as well as a read aloud at home with between parents and
0: kids. Yeah, that's the hope. I, I also think there are there is enough funny, silly things that even if you don't really understand what's happening, like a letter is missing and you don't grasp that, wow, this book was written with only 25 letters. Like that's, you know, a three-year-old is not going to care about that. They just want to see a fun story that they can connect to and it's about a pet and somehow billy young made pet feet look cute when i wrote the book i had no idea what they were going to look like i thought you know it could be a rabbit's foot it could be a human foot it could be i hadn't, i didn't know but but somehow he made pet feet look cute which is which is a, a a great um yeah i guess it always had to be that but i i had no idea i, I don't think specifically about the illustrations when i'm when i'm writing things but also things like chasing past a fog and toad and into a gassy field or when they have to try to get into a building, but they can't get in the dew. Like, you know, a three-year-old's probably gonna laugh at that stuff. And there's more than just potty humor, but yeah. there's still, you know, being chased by a flock of flying cows, um, things like that. There's there's funny things that uh, that I think anyone would enjoy, regardless of whether you get the deeper level of alphabetness. Of
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want to say that reading my pet's reminded me of one of my favorite kids' books, which is Wacky Wednesday by Dr. Seuss. I just love looking over a picture book artwork with my kids, and especially when you can spot funny scenes because the artwork really does elevates the text. And, you know, I love it when you can come back to a book and you know that every single time you read it, there's a really good chance you're going to notice something else. And so I think my pet feet has that, you know, like your goal is that you want adults to enjoy reading the books as much as possible. And it can get a bit monotonous when a kid picks a favorite book and you have to read it over and over again. And so that's happened to me. And so what makes it more enjoyable for me is when there is so much in the artwork to continue looking and, and trying to find new things. So I feel like your book offers that too. I am going to say that my favorite Page beside the gassy field is the <laughs> spread of the policewoman on a galloping hose, and I loved the kids driving go-cats instead of go-karts because my family loves to go go-karting. So I like again, you this book, and the artwork that Billy Young created and and paired with your text, I feel like it's going to appeal to so many people for so many different reasons.
0: Oh, thank you. I, yeah, that's a great. He added so much to it, also, Billy. He added the a bunch of the gags that weren't in there in the illustration notes. Cause like some of the bands I came up with, but he added Hay Styles, and, you know, for Harry Styles, and, but just other little things too. He added the, the at symbols, eating the, the bagels. He added the, the tea tree, the tea trees, the t-shirt trees, like all these little things. And he's, he's been super fun to work with. I think part of it was because this book was developed during the pandemic for the most part. I had more connection with him than anybody else while making a book than any of my other illustrators. And it wasn't all that much, (laughs) mind you. The publishers usually keep us kind of separate and everything official goes through the editors and art directors. But because everyone was Zooming with each other, everyone was virtual... He was like, well, I might as well just be virtual with Josh, too. And so he messaged me and we chatted. He shared some sketches with me. And I I never have really anything specific to say about artwork from the illustrators. They they know how to do art. I I don't. I, I practiced really hard at writing text for picture books, but I, I don't know anything about making the art. Usually when, when an artist sends in their art, the only feedback I have is, well, we can cut this line now because... The illustrator already put that in, so we don't need the text anymore and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but Billy's great.
1: Yeah. did you? I'm, I'm assuming that Billy was selected by your editor because I think the pairing was so great. And I had to look Billy Young up because I wasn't familiar with Billy's artwork. And I feel like we're going to see a lot more of his illustrations showing up in picture books after this book.
0: I hope so. He lives in uh, Singapore and this is his debut picture book. He's illustrated a handful of chapter books um, and book covers, but uh but yeah, this is his first picture book. so he also just had a baby sometime in the last year, so it's been a big busy year for him.
1: I'm also curious about this since we've talked a lot about the artwork. So as the author and not the artist, do you get excited or nervous which one when you're waiting for the artwork?
0: Usually more excited. I no, I'm I don't think I'm, I get nervous at all, really. I get nervous about if the if the editors want to change something in the art that I like. Yeah, <laughs> that's <go>. about it. <laughs> yeah, no. The I'm I am always excited about about getting art, and it's it's. I I have a book that's not coming out till next year. It's called Dear Unicorn, and it's sort of a follow up to Dear Dragon. And I recently got the illustrator's sketches for it, and it's been so long since I saw the text. Um, I was like, wow, this is this is a really cool book. And my wife is like, You you wrote the words, you don't remember it. And I'm like, yeah, but it it didn't have the illustrations and I don't really remember writing it because it was so long ago. But yeah, getting the art is is so exciting. That is that is one of the two best things about being an, an author, a picture book author, is is getting to see the illustrator's art for the first time. Uh, yeah. And oh, I should mention that Dear Unicorn is going to be, is being illustrated by Charles Santoso. It's a, oh my gosh, yeah. a different I, illustrator than um, than Dear Dragon. Yeah, Charles was a perfect choice for this because uh, you know who he is, obviously, by yes, the Yeah, I'm a
1: huge fan of Charles's artwork. Yeah,
0: me too. And he has so many different styles of art. And that was, that was one of the main reasons why he was kind of the top choice for this, Uh, at least I kept being like, it would be great to get a Charles Santoso style illustrator, a Charles Santoso type illustrator. And they asked him and and he had the time. But because this book is about a girl and a unicorn who are pen pals, but they don't realize they're writing to a different species. But they're not only writing letters, they're also sharing art with each other. And they have very different art styles. So this book needed to have at least three different styles of art it needed to have like the art of the actual book like what do the characters look like but it also needed to have the art that was drawn by connie who was the human and it had which was sort of like a fancy style at least to start but it evolves and it needed to have the unicorn style nick short for nicole and she was sort of a bubbly unicorn, you know, what you'd expect out of a unicorn style. So it needed to have at least three styles of art that were distinct. It couldn't just be like, hey, we draw art like the picture book has art in it. No, it had to have different things. And they their styles of art sort of shift and merge towards each other throughout the book, which is kind of the point as they become friends by being pen pals. And so, um, yeah, that yeah. that is a really, really... I'm very excited to. Yeah, share. you're like
1: literally. I'm all like, you've got no idea how excited I am now for this book. Okay, well, I'm very excited. Well, I do want to um sort of close the loop on my pet feet here, and I'm curious about what your biggest hopes for readers is when they're done reading my pet feet.
0: Oh, I, I, I just hope that they they enjoy and laugh. That's what I want out of all of my books. I think it's it's not something that i know what you're going to get out of it maybe you'll want to write your own story with the letter r without the letter r maybe you'll want to write uh to to read other books that have the same illustrator maybe you'll want to read it again um whatever whatever you get out of it i think i want i want you to just have fun and enjoy reading i think like i like you said that's my goal and and that's kind of that's my goal as a as a writer So I want kids yeah. to enjoy reading because if they enjoy reading, then they'll inevitably be good readers. Yeah. And that's the most important thing.
1: Since we talked about Dear Unicorn, I, I do want to just learn a little more in a nutshell for your books that are coming later in the fall. You've got the great caper caper, um, like you mentioned earlier, and it's the not it's not the three little pigs. So do you want to just tell us a quick spiel on each of those?
0: Yeah, uh, so it's it's not the three little pigs is November 1st in that one. In this series it's sort of a meta fractured fairy tale series where the characters do not want to follow the narrator's instructions and often disagree or fight back or make other suggestions and I I try not to repeat the same story over and over again. Um it's not Jack and the Beanstalk was first, it's not Hansel and Gretel came next and it's not Little Red Riding Hood the third one. Red wasn't so much argumentative with the narrator but a little bit questioning also in that one the big bad wolf called in sick because you know grandma's sick things are going around and so in that one uh captain hook filled in for the the big bad wolf so that was a little twist i threw in there and so for this one and it's not the three little pigs there is um each of the pigs has their own their own character their own interests And the first pig wants to be a builder, which is good because they need to build things in this book. And the second pig wants to be an actor. The third pig wants to be a pumpkin. And the fourth pig wants to be a storyteller. That's right. There's a fourth pig. And the fourth pig tries to take over the story.
1: Funny. And
0: so we have a bit of a competing narrator situation going on. In addition to obviously poking fun at the original story, like how do you build a house out of dry stalks of wheat? you know, that that's what building a house out of straw is. That sounds like a terrible plan. And the, you know, little things like that. Yeah, you know, This is a story about pigs building houses. What kid is going to find that interesting? And, uh, and so, you know, they, they kind of go at it from that perspective. And I mean, the original story, not mine. Mine is very interesting.
1: <laughs> we all knew what you were talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could, I could see like a pull quote from this podcast. It's a story about Pigs building houses. What kid's going to be interested in that, says Josh. Three little pigs. And then The Great Caper Caper. This is the fifth book in the Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast series, which in this book, they're all, they all have fridge problems, like a problem that would happen in the fridge. And so like the first book was there was a race for the last drop of syrup. So I always ask kids, you know, oh, have you ever fought with a sibling over the last bite of something or the last drop of something? And, you know, everyone raises their hands. And the second one, the case of the stinky stench was about, you know, has, have you? there was a stinky stench in the fridge. Has anyone ever opened the fridge and smelled something kind of funny? And, you know, most kids have and all the adults have. And then the third one, the fridge starts to freeze over in Mission Defrostable. And the fourth one, um, Lady Pancake and Sir French Toast, it's called Short and Sweet. In that one, they shrink into tiny little kids. And- because they start to go stale. So, you know, have you ever had a food that started to go stale that you were really excited to eat, but you couldn't because it was all moldy and gross? So, all of these are fridge problems. And all of them also have sort of a different genre. So, the first one was a race. The second one was a mystery. The third one was an action adventure spy thriller. The fourth one was sort of a sci fi comedy slash magical body swap, kind of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but also mixed with um, maybe Freaky Friday or Big. Because they, they shrink into tiny little children. Um, so this fifth one, the great caper caper, the light goes out. And or at least in, in the fridge, the great light, it uh it disappears or is stolen. And you know, has anyone ever opened the fridge and the light was out? You know, it's probably more rare than anything, but it does happen. Those light bulbs do die every once in a while. Um, and it's because the evil count caper stole it. So the evil count caper who lives in Las Veggies. Uh, he lives in a tower in Los Veggies. They have to plan a heist to steal back the great light. So that is the great caper caper. Genius. Um, and so it's sort of like getting the whole team back together. So the genre is heist. It's like a heist book. And so
1: that's yeah, both of them sound really, really fun, Josh.
0: Yeah. And there, there will be more Lady Pancake books. I just turned in the text for the sixth book, which I don't know when we get to announce the title or whatever, but it it will be a sci-fi alien invasion. Will be the, genre, the genre.
1: Congratulations! So. That you're on fire. This is amazing. And,
0: this, <laughs> and the problem in this one is: Have you ever left something in the fridge that didn't belong there? Like that time I left my wallet uh, in the fridge <laughs> for the weekend and couldn't find it. So that that's the that's the fridge problem. So you know, I'm try, when I'm writing, I try to think of a problem that needs to be solved, and uh, that that's often helpful.
1: Yes. Well, Josh, I want to say there's something that I, as a book person, really admire about you as a writer is that you have all of these incredible books of your own, but you are a true advocate for other authors and for other books because you truly do have a passion to raise readers and encourage kids. You want kids to love reading. And so, since my day job is all about recommending, books that I think kids will love reading. I also really enjoy it when somebody else does the recommending. So I'm wondering, do you have any picture books by other authors that you are just dying to tell us about? Cuz I would yeah. love to hear what you're what you're loving right now.
0: Definitely. A couple I picked up recently, actually at, at the Silver Unicorn. One is called To Change a Planet and it's by Christina Soontornvat and illustrated by Rahele Jamapur bell And it's a really cool story about, It's. it talks about essentially climate change and how it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort to make sure that we can save our planet with some excellent back matter at the end. And it doesn't sugarcoat it, but it does lay it out in a kid-friendly way. Um, this is a book I've I've tried to write a book like this a few times and it hasn't really worked out, but Christina soon about, who's won two Newbery medals, uh, Newbery honors, sorry, and has written a ton of great books that she managed to do it. So to change a planet is great. Um, another one is called Kipanamak, Weachem's Thanks- Thanksgiving Story by Danielle Greendeer, Anthony Perry and Alexis Bunton and illustrated by Gary Meech's Senior. And this book is a retelling of the original Thanksgiving story from 1621 in the Plymouth, Massachusetts area, but it's told from the Native American perspective. And I think it's a really sweet story and it's told really well. It's actually from the perspective of the, the corn and it it doesn't push it too far. I've attended on uh, National Day of Mourning, or Thanksgiving, whatever you call it. Um, virtually, I've attended what the uh, Native American uh, community has a video stream of what they do on that day in Plymouth, Massachusetts. It This book doesn't go nearly as far, make anyone feel uncomfortable about, it doesn't make white kids feel bad about anything, but it tells a different story of what happened on the original Thanksgiving. And I I highly recommend that one. Um, It should be in every classroom. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another one I love is called The Boy Who Loved Maps. It is by Carrie Allen and G. Brian Karras. And this is a really cute story about a kid who loves maps. I love maps. I've always been a map person. I love going to the ice cream store in town where they'd have like a map of my entire town that I grew up in, rendered by some cartoony artist. I've always loved putting maps on walls when my kids were there, my uh, in, like on my kids' playrooms and things like that. I've always been uh, enjoyed maps. And this is about a boy who loves to make maps. Eventually, a little girl comes to his treehouse office and asks for a map about specific things. And eventually, she, he she shows him all these things. And he, he's like, I don't know how to make a map of that. I don't think that place exists. And she shows him around town. And it's sort of a book about I'm spoiling the ending, appreciating home. But it's a very, very sweet book. Um, I highly recommend that. And then the last one I'll share for today is called Kick, Push, Be Your Epic Self, which is written and illustrated by Frank Morrison. And it's his debut book that he has written. He's illustrated, I don't know, several dozen books already. But this is the first one that he wrote. And it's about a little kid who comes to town and is a skateboarder, but he can't find a crew of skateboarders. And he gets uh, advice from his parents and eventually things work out, but it's, it's one of those books, like about being you and being yourself and sticking to who you are, but it was so not preachy that it's one of those from a writing perspective. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you make an And It's beautifully illustrated. He's, he's an amazing painter. He started out as a graffiti artist. And so, uh, but it's, it's one of those, you know, be yourself kind of books that doesn't feel like it's shoving it down your throat and and I think that's what I love so much about be about kick push
1: One of the most, my most favorite things about picture books is the exposure to all of the different kinds of artwork. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned the graffiti artist background and like kick push is just so incredible to look at. And so, yes, I just I love the artwork about picture books, too, and that exposure that they give to kids.
0: I don't know much about art. I like I don't go to a lot of museums. In the last 20 years, I've I've only been to a handful. But I do know that, you know, there are some people who go to school and want to be fine artists, but most of the best artists in the world are working in one of three fields, either marketing and advertising, or animation, or picture books. Agreed. And that's that's where the best artists are. and there's a lot of overlap between those those fields. I, I know there's a lot of animators in picture books. There's probably some advertising folks, marketing folks in, in picture books too. I know that's where um, William Steig started as, as working in advertising. Obviously that was like 50 or 60 years ago. but but also, yeah, I mean that's that's where they are. The best artists in the world today are working in picture books.
1: Yeah, and you have some of them creating the art for your books and that's amazing.
0: (laughs) I'm very, very fortunate. Yes,
1: Uh, Well, on that note, Josh, I want to thank you for a couple of things. The most important thing is thank you for writing My Pet Feet and making me laugh. And thank you very, very, very much for coming on today on the Growing Readers Podcast. And we should just give a, a quick cheers and a shout out to all of the word nerds out there. Because word nerds will most definitely have so much fun reading my pet feed.
0: Yeah, I love the word nerds. Scrabble dictionary. That's what I use to um to to make this book to come up with words. Scrabble dictionaries online. That was that was incredibly helpful. Uh yeah, I love the word nerds, the word games, things like that. Always have.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: more awesome. of a boggle person than a scrabble person. Oh my
1: gosh, I love boggle. Yeah. Nobody plays oh. boggle anymore. <laughs>
0: I'll play boggle with you. I'll yes, with you. yes.
1: We'll do a zoom boggle <laughs> sounds good well thanks thank you so so much josh this was so much fun
0: all right my pleasure bye
1: thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers be sure to check out our show notes you'll find links to order a copy of my pet feet by josh funk and billy young i've also popped in pre-order links for the great caper caper and it's not the three little pigs To see which author and illustrator guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com and search for The Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of The Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.